Well, we've just gotten through this series of healthy church, and last week we talked about, um, you know, the last step of, you know, what does it mean? How do you become a healthy church? And we're going to come back to that topic in, um, in January, but we're taking a little break now. We're taking a break this Christmas uh, season, and, and to really look at, um, you know, the Christmas story, and I know in some ways it's familiar, and I think sometimes familiarity is a problem, um, because when we become too familiar with something, I think sometimes we miss um, important things, we miss important messages, important details, or sometimes we assume, we know, and because we think we know, um, because we think we know, that kind of gets in the way of, of, of really knowing and, and really understanding. You know, last week I, you know, I used the, uh, the metaphor that Jesus is using and about salt and how, you know, for us, salt has always been about putting seasoning on food or preserving food, and, and we've never thought about falling over mic stands. Um, we've never thought about, you know, other uses of salt and, and things like that. And so it's hard for us. It's hard for us to, to think about something differently when, in fact, it's, it's more accurate in what Jesus was talking about. So we come to this, this, this Christmas time, and, and again, we can, we can get kind of, a, kind of, I guess, we, we get at ease because we go, oh, I know this story. I know this message. So I'm good. I can kind of just relax here. But I think when we look at this particular message and this series of messages, I thought about, you know, what, what should we focus on? What should we talk about? And I prayed about it and thought about it. And I thought about, you know, what do, does God want from us? What does he want from us? And of all the things that he wants from us, you know, what is the most important? Now, some people are like, oh, he wants love. He wants worship. Yeah, he does. But honestly, that's not really from us. It's like if you give your kid 20 bucks to buy you a Christmas present. Well, it's kind of from them, but it's really from you to yourself. It's even more so from you if you tell them what to spend the $20 on. But if you just, you know, you, you gave them the ability to give to you. When you talk about love, we've already talked about we really can't love God. We can only love God in the way that's worthy is when he empowers us to love like him. So if we can't really love God, we can't really worship God. So, so what is it? What is that thing? And that's what we want to talk about today because a lot of people think they understand what Christianity is and they think they even understand what this gift is, faith, faithfulness. Because a lot of people's idea of faith is, is, is some belief that's expressed at some point in time. And they say, I have faith. I, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in my life and make him my Lord and Savior, and I had faith. Well, that's true. But that's really not faithfulness. As we've been talking about with healthy church, a faithfulness is being a Christian, being a healthy Christian, being a healthy church is that we're living sacrifice. 
It's not just a, a one-time decision, but that we're, we're a living sacrifice. It's not just, I'll do this thing at the beginning, or what some people say is, I'll do the, the big stuff at the end. You know, I'm willing to, to sacrifice at the end. I'm, I'm willing to, to give everything, you just got to ask. And so we become faithful only in theory, but not in reality. Because we convince ourselves that God isn't asking us for everything, even though we've made it all available. So what is faithfulness? How is faithfulness different? Well, it's certainly not just a one-time thing. And it's certainly not just a feeling or an attitude. It's more than that. Faithfulness, faithfulness is that everyday gift that we give to God. We're going to unpack this more. What does faithfulness mean? Well, faithfulness is becoming one of these, these words that I think is kind of not as popular in our culture anymore. The world is constantly changing we're, we're, we have access to so much information and, and all of this is going on and, and so what happens is faithfulness has become kind of like either redefined or it's kind of left behind people are constantly now changing their allegiances and they're changing their attitudes not changing in a healthy way I think there is a healthy change as we grow we change but I think the change that's been taking place more and more in our culture is we just go with whatever's popular. We go whatever seems to be society is saying is right or good or, or enjoyable. And we just, we just go with it. Things trend. If you go onto social media, so many times it's like, dislike. Something goes viral. A lot of people watch it. They like it. And we've become so driven by that. You can have people that, that, that don't feel that deep allegiance to really anything. And it's not surprising. People have been talking about this happening to our culture for, for years. We talked about it at, at our church retreat that, that back in the 20s and 30s, the ideal was to get a job with the same company and stay with them for your whole career. That's like crazy talk now. Young people, that's not what they're thinking. They're not thinking, stay with one company for 40 years. In fact, by the time my generation came along, it was more like, you know, you move up, you move around, it's like two, three, four different jobs, maybe a couple of different careers. But we live in this world where allegiances, attitudes change, and, and they change because, because there's no foundation. They change because we've, we've adopted this attitude that there are no absolutes. And if there are no absolutes, there's nothing I can return to to evaluate anything. Nothing certainly eternal. And so when a new opinion, a new attitude comes along, a new idea comes along, I really can't evaluate them. I have nothing to evaluate them with. Except... I evaluate it basically on two things. If I have no sense of absolutes, two things. Does it make sense? And do I like it? 
Anything else is disingenuous. If I say, oh no, wait, there's a third category. The third category is um, because it's right. How can you introduce the category of something being right if you've already said there are no such things as absolute truth? There's no absolute right. There's no absolute wrong. So how can you possibly say because it's right? What you can say most, and here's what you hear people say, it feels right. That's what you hear. It's wrong. And you know, I used to be able to safely say to people, yeah, these changes are coming, but most of you are never going to see them. It's not true. This culture is changing so rapidly, you're going to see them. Most people in this room are going to live long enough. You've already seen changes in our society and our culture that you never thought you would ever see. Some for the better, some for the worse. You're going to see more. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to, to a cause. Faithfulness to a faith. Faithfulness to a person. Faithfulness to a God. It's kind of gone away. And so the story, the first story of faithfulness that we look at in the Christmas story is the story of Mary. And we know Mary. We know her story, kind of. But Mary gets this rather surprising news. Now we went around and asked some people some questions about what would happen if they got this same news. I can't even think of being pregnant. A little horrified because I wouldn't know how I got pregnant. After I picked myself, up off the floor. <laughs> I would just be amazed. I would first tell my mom. She probably felt really scared um, and didn't know how to handle the situation. She must have felt overwhelmed, like probably even worse, way worse than I am. <laughs> So this, this girl, and she's by our standards a girl, by Jewish standards she's a young woman. Um, she's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. And she's, she's betrothed to be married, and by being betrothed, people say that's like being engaged. It's really not like being engaged. It's more than being engaged. If she and Joseph had wanted to, they could have legally been able to live together and be married. But one of the reasons they would wait is because after a year, they would be preparing for this wedding feast, and they would have this wedding feast. And that was really one of the dreams of, of you know, every you know, young Jewish girl. And again, 13 or 14 years old, and in some ways very different because the culture is different. The whole idea of a teenage culture, that's a modern invention. That didn't exist 150 years ago. That's a modern invention. This whole thing about, oh, I get to kind of hang around with my parents until I'm 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. You know, that whole thing, that's a new thing. That's, that's not how the world had, 
has operated up, in, up, up until recently. And you know what? A lot of the world still doesn't operate that way. So in some ways, she's not like a modern 13 or 14-year-old. But in some ways, she is. But the big point that the Bible tries to help us understand is, in so many ways, she's not special. She's not, she's not a superhero. She's not someone who, you know, you know, like when I used to watch those kung fu movies who, who went up into the mountains and trained for six months to be ready to do this. No, she was just this regular person living a regular life, looking forward to her life. You know, the biggest thing in her life had been taken care of. She was married, and she wasn't just married. She was married to a good man, a man who would not just provide for her, but as we're going to find out later on, a man that genuinely loved her and cared for her. In some ways, you know, she had kind of hit the jackpot. She had won the lottery. She wasn't like, uh, I can't remember her name, but my daughter played the character of this girl in Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody watch Fiddler on the Roof? And the, the young girl is supposed to marry, arrange marriage with the big fat, uh, what did he do? Was he like a banker or I don't know? But he was, he had money, but he was old and, you know, apparently not attractive to a young teenage girl. But not Mary. She's not some superhero. Ordinary person. And I think that's part of the story. Part of the story is not that she had these super abilities, not because she was the fairest in the land, not because she was extra pure. No. It's because she had this one thing. And we're going to see that one thing. We're going to see that when, when she's confronted with this news. This news of not just, hey, surprise, you're pregnant. But surprise, you're pregnant. And you're not pregnant in the normal ways. In fact, you are carrying the Son of God. And so in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we have this story. Ordinary girl planning for her life, planning to kind of live out her dreams. You know, there wasn't this sense of upward mobility like we have today. She wasn't, you know, the little mermaid, you know, dreaming of this other world that she could go to. No, this was her world. Most people in this time, they don't travel more than two or three miles from their homes. This is her life. And, a, and by her standards, it's a pretty good life. And then she gets this news. And she gets this news, and it says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. One of the reasons we realize Mary is both special and not special is her reaction to that statement. Greetings, O favored one. You see, if Mary was kind of full of herself, if Mary thought she was she's pretty awesome, you know what she would have said? What's up? How you doing? But she doesn't do that. And why doesn't she do that? She doesn't do it because when, when he says, oh, favored one, she doesn't believe it. She doesn't think like, I'm favored, I'm special, I'm, I'm like so many other people. In fact, you know, there's probably other people who have it better than me. But it's this sense of honesty about her situation. And it's this humility that becomes such an important ingredient into her being able to do what God has asked her to do. It says she was greatly troubled. And she's trying to figure out what is he talking about? Because if someone comes up to you that you don't know and says some really nice things about you, your first thought is not usually like, oh, thank you, kind stranger, for noticing how awesome I am. Instead, your first thought is, okay, what are they trying to sell? You know, if you're walking through Kahala Mall and, and somebody says, wow, you have really nice hair. They don't tell me that, but they might tell you that. You have really nice hair. Right? Sometimes they're genuinely just being nice. But a lot of times, if you, if you kind of look to your left, you'll notice they're working at one of those kiosks, right? And it's their way of trying to get you to come in and say, you have really nice hair. I've got this thing that can make it even better. You know, you, you want to know the angle. You, you, you know how, I'm not sure, but I think there's a school that all salespeople go to that sell clothes. And they have to learn to say things like, that looks amazing on you. Because in the store, when you're trying something on, I'm not really thinking they're trying to look at what looks amazing on you. Sorry to burst your bubble. It may look amazing on you. And it's why I'll probably never be a good salesman, because I'd probably be too honest. Or I would just be like, mm-hmm, yeah, all right. But they say it looks amazing on you. Why? Uh, sometimes they're genuinely being nice. But a lot of times they have a reason. They want to make a sale. And here's this stranger that comes up 
to Mary and says, oh, favored one, greetings. And she's probably thinking, what's going on here? I know I'm not special, I'm not favored. What is this person after? And the angel says, fear not. Fear not. And he explains, when I said favored one, I didn't mean that you were special. What I meant was, you have found favor with God. And let me just tell you, when a lot of people think about blessings from God, when a lot of people think about being favored by God, they usually think of stuff. They usually think of, oh, I was blessed with this house, or I was blessed with this job, or I was blessed, blessed with, a, with, a, with a car, or I was you know, blessed with a raise, or I was blessed with a good family, and I was blessed, and I was blessed, and I was blessed, and we think about that. But look here. You have found favor with God, and here's your blessing. You got a job. I think when God really blesses us, he gives us a job. He doesn't give us stuff. Oh, the stuff is nice, and I'm not going to tell you it's not nice. But when God really favors you, he blesses you with a job because he trusts you with the job. If you don't think God has anything for you to do, you got to ask, God, why, why aren't you using me? What is it about me? Am I so pathetic? Am I so worthless that you can't use me? Or do I just not really want to be used? I only want to be blessed in that other way. Favor with God. And God's about to, to ask you to do something and do something that's really important and really hard. And of course, she... She immediately wants to know, like, how can this be? Now, I don't know what this says about what she thinks about Joseph, but it apparently, her first thought is not that somehow she and Joseph are going to have a baby. She seems to kind of know that, that this son of the Most High is going to come from a, a virgin. And so she says, how will this be? How can this happen? It's apparently not going to come from Joseph. And he explains to her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God's going to make it happen. You just make yourself available. Nothing will be impossible with God. And we have here two things that come together. Right? The way this story is told brings these two things together. The angel saying, nothing will be impossible with God. Let me tell you about Elizabeth, who was well past childbearing age. She's pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that, that we have to believe, that if God wants something to happen, if God needs something to happen, if God wills something to happen, it's not impossible. It will happen. No matter how hard it might seem, no matter how, how implausible and how we think that, that I just don't know how I could ever do what God is asking me to do. 
we hold to this, nothing will be impossible with God. And it's right next to this, this great statement. And this great statement from Mary is this. Okay, nothing impossible with God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel delivering this message from God. Nothing's impossible. Mary responding with faithfulness. She says, all right, I'm the servant. What do I need to do? No negotiating, no limits, no what if, no how is it going to work out, uh, you know, do I have to do this alone, you know, is Joseph going to leave me, is, is my family going to, you know, push me aside, is everybody going to think I'm crazy, none of that, it's simply this, behold I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, it's faithfulness. And we often think of the honor that comes to Mary. And it is an honor. It is an honor. I think sometimes we in Baptist life, we don't, we don't give Mary enough of her due. I think in other churches and other groups, they give her maybe too much honor. But I don't think we do enough. It is an honor. But what we should not mistake is that it is an honor that comes with a price. And this price is not a small price. From Mary's perspective, this price is huge because everything she thought, everything she thought life was going to be, and she thought, I got it good. I got a good man. He's got a good job. You know, we live in a good town. Everything's good. We, we're going to have a nice living. We're going to have a nice life together. We're going to raise these children. It's going to be great. She now realizes life will never be the same. Mary gives up her future. She gives up her hold on her dreams to follow God's plan. Never be the same. I think that's one of the problems that sometimes we struggle with. I think one of the reasons we struggle with faithfulness is because somewhere in our heads, we know that if we're ever truly surrendered and if we're ever truly faithful, we have to be willing to know that nothing will ever be the same. It's not about holding on to sameness and keeping sameness and worshiping sameness. When we are faithful, we accept the fact that nothing will be the same. And that goes against so much of what I want and what I think most of us want. We, we want. we want some things to be the same. But no. She gives up her dreams. She gives up that safety that she had, that she knew she would have. And now she has to think that I might have to go this alone. There is there's maybe no one who will be willing to walk with me. And if you know anything about that culture in that day, 
if, if you were a single woman, adult woman in that culture, you were vulnerable. You didn't have a means to, to, to care for yourself, much less a child. If your family rejected you because you had become an embarrassment and a shame to them, and your husbands abandoned you, you're left on your own. It's okay. She doesn't, she doesn't try to bargain. She doesn't say, yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do it. It's a lot, but I'll do it. But, you know, you, you got to promise me something. No. She just says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know what's happened here? And I think it's one of the ways faithfulness really becomes that daily expression of our walk with Christ. You know what's happened? What's happened is God's plan has become Mary's dream. God's plan God's will has become what Mary wants for her future. She doesn't even know all the details, but it's her her deepest desire. You want to get to faithfulness? Then you need to, first of all, understand God's plan, and not just simply God's plan for your life or my life, but God's plan for this church. God's plan for for his kingdom, God's plan for all of creation. We need to understand it, and his plan needs to become our dream. Because when that happens, faithfulness is not a problem. But as long as we want to kind of mix the two, we want to say, okay, God, yeah, you got some really cool plans. I like them. I like them. But I got some good ones too, and I need to kind of hold on to those. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to build up the portfolio. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, make sure when I retire I'm, I'm comfortable. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure, you know, my family and I can pay for my kids to go to college. I've got all my plans, okay? So I want to hold on to all my plans. But I really like yours too. And that's the case. Faithfulness will always be a struggle. Because we have competing futures. Oh, sometimes our plans match up with God's plans. But what if they don't? Who's going to win? Oh, sometimes what we do is we take our plans and we try to make them God's plans. We do that. You know, sometimes maybe we're getting into this situation where we need to search for a job or search for a house. And we don't really pray about it. We don't pray, God, should I be even searching for a job? Should I even be looking for a house? No, we don't, we don't ask that. We do a lot of the work for God already. We narrow it down. We figure out what neighborhoods we want to live in, what price range. You know, we narrow it down, and then oftentimes we get it down to like, you know, because maybe God's too busy to really look for a house for us. And we get it down to like two or three choices and say, okay, now I'm going to pray, God, which one of these two or three choices? 
or we might do it with a job. Or students, they sometimes do it with college. They do all the work for God. They never bother to ask God, does God want me to go to college? Does God even care what degree I pursue? No, they do all the work for him. They, they, they base their decision on going to college based on what they like or what they can afford or things like that. And after they do all the heavy lifting and they narrow it down to two or three, then they go, okay, God, now I'm going to pray and ask you which one. No. That's, that's just trying to self-justify what I'm doing. That's not what Mary does. Mary says, okay, all my dreams are going to go on the side for a while. I'm focused. I'm focused on whatever God has for me. She gives up her dreams. She also sacrifices her reputation. She knows what this means. She knows that at best, she's going to be kind of thought of and remembered as that, as that young woman that was so impatient that couldn't wait for her, for her wedding feast, couldn't take that year. At best, she's going to be that. At worst, she's going to be labeled an adulteress. Because it's perfectly possible that Joseph is going to say, that's not my kid. That's not my kid. She's willing to sacrifice her reputation. And not just her reputation with all those mean people, all those haters out there on social media, but her reputation with the people who know her best. With her own family with her neighbors, with her own people, even with Joseph. You see, again, when we're faithful, when we're faithful to God's word, we, we, we are faithful regardless of what other people think. Regardless of what it might do to our reputation. And those of you who've kind of grown up in, in you know, most of the 20th century in the United States, it was always more or less looked on positively to be a Christian and hold to Christian positions. And when Christian, when there's you know issues that come up in our culture to 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 believe in what Christianity says and what the Bible says, it's at least been popular. At least the majority will either say, yeah, I agree with that, or, yeah, okay, you can believe that. The day is over. And the only reason you might not know the day is over is because you've kind of, kind of cut yourself off from the world. There are more and more people in American culture that think that believing in Christianity, believing in a God of any sort, is primitive. It's something that we need to leave behind. It goes against the greater good. It hurts society. It, it holds back science. It holds back this, this humanism, this, this how we're all going to become better people and a better society. It's no longer popular. In fact, it's gone from not just not being popular, 
to where more and more, if you hold on to certain Christian positions, you are considered an enemy. You are considered worth hating. You are considered worth just destroying your lives over. Now, you might go, well, okay, yeah, that's happening, but I'll take your word for it. But I'm not really, you know, I'm not part of that. Again, I think within most, if not all, of our lifetime, this church is going to face a lawsuit. And it's going to be because we hold to certain values that the rest of culture has said is wrong. I don't care in the sense of it's going to make me do anything any different. I mean, I care. I don't want that to happen. But I don't care what the world thinks of what we do. Not in that sense. What I care is, are we faithful? Do we really want to not just do what God has called us to do, but do we want to do it with His Spirit, with His motivation, with His abundant love, with His grace? See, I think, unfortunately, some of the more aggressive Christians in our, in our, you know, in our society, they, 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 they want to do God's will and they're standing for truth, but they do it in, in such an ungodly way. In a way that's not marked by great compassion and love. Oh, I know sometimes that gets filtered out. It gets filtered out by the media. You probably never hear in in Hawaii media for sure about the awesome work that Baptist men do all the time whenever there's a disaster. They do incredible work. And they do it without recognition. And I kind of love that they do it without recognition and they keep doing it. I love it. I think it's awesome. But if you just read what's in, what's in our media, you're not going to hear that. And here's what I say. If the media is not going to report on love, on acts of love, stop depending on the media. How about do this instead? How about love more? Keep loving more. When I was the news director at Southwestern Seminary, I got this great advice. I was you know, relatively young and, and all, and, and this guy ran a, a Christian newspaper in Dallas, and he told me this. He said, just keep sending the two major newspapers, just keep sending them press releases, big and small. Just keep sending them. Said just every week, send them press releases. Tell them things that are happening at the Southwestern. Tell them about students. Tell them about professors. Tell them about people. Tell them about ministries. Tell them about programs. Just keep doing it all the time. And so I did. Because he said, if you keep doing it, eventually they're going to run the stories. You see, if Christians will say, look, just keep loving, loving more, Serve God more. Do more. Just keep doing it. Don't feel like, oh, nobody's going to tell our story. Who cares? Just do more. 
The world is not going to be able to miss it. Finally, she, Mary risked this relationship with Joseph. And the relationship wasn't like she didn't know Joseph at all, and then they had this arranged marriage, and then suddenly she knew. She had known about him. Even before they were betrothed, she knew about him. And as I said, the story later on is going to tell us how honorable he is and how compassionate he is towards her. And she knows it. And she risks her love. She risks this most important relationship to follow God's plan. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about how if you're the cost of discipleship, that Jesus says, you're going to hate your father and your mother. You're going to hate your spouse. You're going to hate your brothers and your sisters. And, and he was really trying to make this point that if you're going to follow me, you have to, first of all, allow these relationships not to keep you from following. But I think another point that's, that's made here that I think sometimes we miss is that we really can't love our families in the way that God wants us to love our families until we have that love that comes from God. And we cannot have that love from God until we are faithful to him above all else. God promises to pour out his spirit and and his spirit is pouring out his love upon us if we're faithful. He doesn't just pour it all over the world. It's just if we're faithful. And if you really, really want to love your family, if you really want to love the way that only God can love, then you have to be like Mary and have a faithfulness that risks her to love, risks her love to follow God's plan. She truly was willing to give up everything. And I know in her mind that the time is passing. In, in the Bible, it's just a few pages. Maybe not even that, just a few lines. But she's thinking every second, every moment of the day, from the time that she hears from this angel and she says, okay, you know, do, I'll do according to your word. From that point, she doesn't know what's going to happen for what might be days. She doesn't know what Joseph's response is going to be. She doesn't know what her family's going to do. She's at this place where she doesn't know and she has to live every second of that. But it's okay. It's okay. And, I'm, and I'm, I think at times she, she might have got a little like, you know, maybe overwhelmed. But it was okay. And the verse that Keo ran er, read earlier, there's no way she could have known this verse. It was written decades later. But I think she had this thought. She had this thought that even when she was raising Jesus, 
And even when they had, to, they had to flee to Egypt, and even when they were back and she was still facing probably the criticism from, from her family and others who knew this wasn't Joseph's child, and, and even when you know, Jesus was, was, was kind of growing up and then he was doing things that other kids didn't do, and even when, when he was ministering and, and he was saying things and, and he was upsetting some people and, and, and he was confusing. He was causing this kind of ruckus in their society. And in fact, she at times might have thought like, oh, Jesus, this maybe isn't the way to do it. I think she held to this verse, this thought in this verse that Paul would later write. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You see, the proof of faithfulness is not to do some grand thing for God. It's not to say, God, someday I'll be willing to die for you. The proof of faithfulness is what we see in Mary. It's not that she would die for Christ. It's that she would live every day for Christ. And the only way that's possible because we have good days, we have bad days, is if she has this sense of faithfulness and this faithfulness that says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You know why? You know why I'm here you know why I haven't decided to go somewhere else? You know why I haven't decided to start a different career? It's because I believe what Paul wrote about us. That he who began a good work, he who began a good work in us, will be faithful to complete it. Yes, we offer faithfulness to God. But what's so much more important is His faithfulness to us.